0: Well, good morning. Let's ask that question this morning. Is there a God? What a huge question for us to ask. I I was trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody who might go out on the streets and ask that question. It's a little complicated for me because I got to be honest, most of the time people are pretty cautious around me once they find out that I'm a pastor uh, they'll try and hide some of their bad language. Uh, they'll give me the answer. I, I get the sense that they're giving me the answer that they think I would like to hear to certain questions. They'll, they'll try and put their best foot forward. Sometimes they'll try and sound theological in some way. But not always. Not always. Uh, I was at a neighborhood gathering this last summer when I had a refreshingly honest conversation with someone, the kind of conversation that I'm not always used to having. Uh, I was talking with a really nice retired gentleman, telling him what I do for a living, uh, that I'm a pastor uh, at the church on the corner. And he looked right at me and he said, well, I don't go to church. My boat is my church. And he proceeded to tell me all about his his boat and the kind of parties that he would have on his boat and, and how big his boat was and how many times he gets out on his boat in a year. And, and I was genuinely sort of fascinated with this, so I was asking a ton of questions because I'm not used to having this kind of honest conversation with people. And I asked, so this is really interesting. Why do you call it your church? That's an interesting choice of words. Why do you call it your church? And he said, well, when I'm out on the water, when I'm on my boat, that's all the God I need. It's all the God I need. I didn't take any offense uh, at this answer nor his sort of curt dismissal of what I do for a living. Um, And the reason is because I get it on on a lot of levels, I understand. Uh, Some of you know, one of my happy places is on a boat up in northern Wisconsin at my family's cabin. I love being on the boat. And I can tell you that there are times when when I'm on the boat out in the water, I'm sure it's not nearly as nice a boat as this guy's, but when I'm up there, I feel something you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I, I feel something, something that's beyond sort of like what's happening right here and right now, something that is spiritual. It's like a spiritual place for me. I've been to concerts, both, both classical orchestral uh, concerts, but also rock concerts, where I felt this kind of mystical, powerful, spiritual power, right? We experience that oftentimes through, through various forms of art. I was in China five years ago, and we, and we went and, and visited a a Buddhist temple, and there was, there was a spiritual power there too. You would never be able to tell me that there wasn't power within those four walls. It was kind of a haunting power for me. I didn't really know what to do with it, but there was something spiritual there. Just just a year ago, some of us were in India, and, and we had the opportunity to pray our way through the red light district in the city of Pune as we were visiting some ministries there. You will never be able to convince me that there's not, there's not a, a spiritual just oppression and darkness in that place. So I, I, get the fee, I get the idea of a feeling of God, a sense of, of God, a sense of something bigger, even if it's not real well defined. So as we ask the question this morning, is there a God? My guess is that most of you that are here today, you already have some sort of answer in your, in your mind to that question. Maybe it's not super well defined, but you have some sort of answer in your mind. As the video shared with us, 62% of people do believe in an almighty, all-powerful God. Interesting conversation as to why that number decreased so much in the last 20 years, which we could talk about some other time. But there's another statistic too. When asked about, is there a God at all? You kind of take away the qualifiers of almighty, all-powerful. Is there a God at all? Statistics tell us that 80 to 85% of people would say, yes, there is some sort of God regardless of religious affiliation or lack thereof. And then there are those like my honest friend, who I appreciate very much, who, who doesn't have a real well-defined idea of, a, of an ever-powerful, ever-present God for sure, but he will openly say, my boat is my God. My boat is essentially my God. It's nearly impossible for us to go through life without at least wrestling through this question and, and ultimately coming up with some sort of answer that is satisfactory on some sort of level to us, or else I think that we would probably drive ourselves crazy. Even the most staunch atheists would likely agree that in the absence of a higher being, they themselves, in, a, in, in their own sort of determinism, are kind of their own gods, philosophers have been debating this question, is there a God for a very long time? So if you feel a little out of your league, it's okay. They've been asking this question ever since there was a thing called philosophy. It's called the ontological argument for higher being. Growing up in the Christian church, I got sort of a a, a Christian version of these arguments uh, for most of my life as well. Some say yes to the idea of a God because of natural indicators like creation. And beauty and art. This is oftentimes what you'll hear when people ask, is there, how do you know that there's a God? Uh, my family and I, we had the opportunity to travel to, to Glacier National Park this summer. Anybody been there? Anybody been to Glacier? How awesome is that drive through that park, right? I mean, I don't know how you can drive through Glacier National Park and, 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 and do that drive and not be like, there's got to be some sort of higher being because this is just way too beautiful, way too amazing. But it's not just grandeur that speaks to God's existence. What about, as I think about it in my life, tracking along with your, your child that is growing inside your wife's womb, how that little life is formed and then nurtured and then, and then brought into this world. To me, that's some of the most overwhelming evidence of God that I could ever give of, of a creative design. I'm still amazed by it. So some people come because of these natural indicators. Other people come to an understanding of God because of ethical indicators like uh, an experience that they've had or, or, or a deep consciousness, a sense of I've got a conscience that's sort of guiding and leading my life, a deep sense of what's right and wrong in a certain situation, realizing that that has to come from somewhere, and, and then certainly a sense of a, of a higher presence based in our own experience. I sat with someone this week uh, who's part of this church who, who talked about being in a car crash that could have killed her, that could have taken her life and she said, part of the evidence of, of God in my life is the fact that I'm here. I should have died. He protected me. How else would I understand that? Other people come to understand God through what we're doing here today, which is religious affiliation. Uh, they, they look at the example of other people, the witness of, of various scriptures, or just a, a compelling faith community, and they see some hope um, They see some peace, they see some integrity in other people, and they say, I want that. Where does that come from? I want to know what that is. Now, I could certainly spend time diving into these arguments, and we could try and convince you this morning through these arguments that there is indeed a God. And that might be a worthy use of time for some of us here today, but if the statistics are true, almost all of us who are here today already have answered that question in some way or another in our lives. So if you're in that small minority who's really never wrestled with this before, you're coming in a really pure way, um, not having settled on an answer, I want to say that's great. And in fact, you're probably ahead of the rest of us because you have less baggage to sort of unpack as we ask this question. But for everybody else, what I'm assuming is the vast majority of us here today, my question is less about the existence of God and trying to prove that to you today and more of a question of what God do you believe in? What God do you believe in? By some metrics, the fastest growing religious group in America is a category of people who uh, consider themselves spiritual but not religious. Have you heard that before? Spiritual but not religious. If you haven't heard that designation, I'm guessing you've heard it uh, from people before. I don't really go to church or anything, but I am spiritual. I'm a spiritually minded person. Sometimes you'll hear someone say, I'm not a church person, but I do believe in God. That's another way of saying that. Oftentimes when people use the word, say that, that I don't believe, you know, I'm not, I'm not a church person, I'm not a religious person, but I am spiritual, they're often talking about the question that we asked last week, where does your meaning and your purpose come from? Whether it be watching Oprah or taking a yoga class uh, once in a while or practicing mindfulness or, yes, taking a ride in your super awesome boat, right? I've gotten better at when, when people say I'm I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, or I don't go to church, but I believe in God. I've, I've tried to get better at asking the question: "You believe in God? Cool. What what God do you believe in? Tell me about him." Oh, you're spiritual. That's 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 neat. What are you connected to spiritually? What's happening there? Because I would never deny yours or anybody else's spiritual experience not be, not being real. I would never say that. I don't write it off or chalk it up to someone's imagination or their emotions. Like I said, I've experienced those spiritual realities that clearly speak to something else, something bigger. For me, it's God. For you all, I want to ask the question, which God are we talking about? Now, it might surprise you this morning that your pastor would be admitting that there are multiple gods that might kind of go, I'm not used to hearing that in a church. Multiple gods that we could believe in, that we could give ourselves to, but it's actually, if you want to study scripture, it's all over the place in scripture, uh, that there are indeed other gods. In the New Testament, you have Paul in the letter to Corinth fumbling around for the right language around this. He says, indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom We exist. Did you notice in this text, look at it, that when the one true God that Paul is talking about is spoken of, that God is capitalized? Did you see that? Conversely, when other gods are spoken of, most translators translate that with a lowercase god, right? A lowercase g. The lowercase gods are abundant in Scripture. They're all over the place. And I think they're really abundant in our experiences as well. But the Bible tells us that there is only one uppercase God, one true God. There are lots of wannabe lowercase gods, and we're lured towards them. There's a real allure for us. But from my experience, I've come to see how much better the uppercase God is than all the other gods. He's the one true creator God who made each and every one of us. And that's why scripture repeatedly calls this God King of Kings and Lord of Kings. Lords, It's a recognition of all these other gods, these other kings, these other lords. So again, what God do you believe in? It's a vitally important question that we have to answer with integrity this morning. A.W. Tozer states that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What a quote, Right? Our concept of God, in other words, is what we give our heart space and brain space to. In a commencement speech at Kenyon College, novelist and and social critic David Foster Wallace eloquently stated it this way. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what To worship, You see, worship, devotion to some sort of higher thing is not a religious thing. It's actually a human thing. You worship every day, all day, whether you know it or not. And what you worship tells me about your God. Followers of Jesus worship. Jews worship. Muslims worship. So do Hindus and Wiccans and and Druids and Neo-Pagans and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and witch doctors. They all worship. So do anti-God, atheist, intellectual professors. So do sports fans and QVC devotees and concert goers and exercise addicts and boat captains. We can't stop worshiping any more than we can stop breathing. That's the truth. So here's the million-dollar question. Whatever it is that you worship, does it talk back to you when you call out to it? Whatever it is that you're worshiping, when you, when you worship that thing, when you call out to that thing, does it talk back to you? And if it does, what does it say? If the roof caves in on your life and, and you're in a really, really tough spot, are you going to run to these things that you're so used to worshiping? To a book, to a temple, to a yoga mat, to a mantra, to a bottle, to a gym membership or a website or a person? when you need to find meaning and significance that's going to outlast these short years that we call life here on earth, are these objects of worship going to be satisfying to you? I think you know that in the case of all lowercase gods, the answer to that is no. So when we cry out to these lowercase gods, they are completely silent often, like the wooden idols of scripture. If they're not silent... They speak back things to us that are unsatisfying, untrue, or sometimes even evil. They tell us that we don't have enough. That we need to try harder. That we should look better. That we should feel younger. That we should acquire more. In the deepest, darkest moments of our lives, the lowercase gods are going to have little to say to us and little life to give to us. But... If there is this one true creator God who made the world and offers meaning and purpose, the God of goodness and beauty and truth, then he has much to say beyond these current circumstances, beyond this mortal life. When I take time to listen, when I call out to the one true God as the object of worship and I take time to actually listen to what he says back to me, What I hear is words of life. Freedom from guilt and sin and shame. I hear him call me his child. I hear him offer forgiveness freely. I hear his love for me. I hear him caring enough about me that he's going to push me towards a life that is fulfilling and abundant. I hear him telling me that his grace is sufficient for me that I'm enough, that he's with me in tangible and true ways each and every day. God tells me things that a concert could never tell me, a boat could never tell me, another person could never tell me. Remember what Simon said last Sunday, we are hardwired for relationship. Our meaning and our purpose is, is, is intertwined with this need for a relationship, and no relationship is more fundamental in terms of our own hardwiring of our hearts than our relationship with God Himself, one where we can love and be truly loved. I have uh, I have an acquaintance who is very driven uh, in his life. He travels constantly, uh, and he's clearly found his security and his purpose and his truth in a career and in a lifestyle. That's what has occupied his brain and his heart space the most, probably more than anything else. So using our definitions that we've already put forward this morning, this makes his career his God. His wife was aware that he just, you know, was not at peace, that he was unfulfilled, that he was unsatisfied with this kind of object of of worship. And a couple years ago, she challenged him and she said, what's it going to take for you to be satisfied? What's it going to take for you to be at peace? And he replied, his reply was he gave her a number. He said, when I'm making this much, I'm going to be able to provide the way that we need to, and I promise you I'm going to, I'm going to be satisfied, I'm going to retire, I'm going to step back, I'm going to be good, I'm going to be satisfied. You can probably guess what happened. <laughs> he eventually reached that number because he was striving for it. And then he realized once he reached that number, it's not enough. It's not enough. The number didn't satisfy. The number demanded more of him. He's still striving for that more even today. And the God of lifestyle had nothing else to say to him other than you need more. You got to have more. So is there a God? Is there a God Oh, certainly there's a God. There are many, many, many gods. There are countless objects of worship that we make shrines to and we bow down to and we give ourselves to. And what's the problem with that, really? Maybe some of you are sitting here today and you're going, you are taking this way too seriously. Can't everybody just sort of have their own concepts of what God is? They can sort of create their own realities and we can just kind of respect one another and just kind of go forward and and just be one big happy family. And we can, and we often do that. And we ought to respect one another. But I feel uneasy at the end of the day if I don't offer the people around me something better than that. I feel called to let people know in a non judgmental, loving way that all lowercase gods are going to lead to an unfulfilling life, an unsatisfying life. I don't think, as I, as I extrapolate those out, I don't see much hope for the world either in those. If the grand goal is the perfect boat ride or, or a salary or a goal weight or a subjective emotional feeling, then we're surrendering our society and our world to a hopelessly selfish and sad existence. We're handing over our neighbors and our friends and even the strangers that we meet to something less than the true life. And I wouldn't want this for myself or for you or for anyone. But if we say yes to the one true God, an almighty being that speaks life to us when the rest of the gods are mute or have very little to say, the capital G hope beyond this life God, the God who models selfless behavior and is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, the God who creates hopeful people as his followers, Well, living for that God gives me hope for this world and even for myself. Next week, we're going to step even further into these questions and ask the all-important question building off this week is how we understand the nature of this one true God from Scripture. If we can assert, if we can come to a place where we go, yes, God exists, or I'm willing to really explore if God exists, Then the next question is, how do we reconcile a good God with a world where there's so so many things that are not good? And we're going to talk about that next week. But before we turn the page to that, let me close by asking this question. I want you to really answer it honestly in your own hearts today. No judgment, just honesty. What do you worship? In other words, what gets the bulk of your head and your heart space these days. Yes, the, the grandeur of creation speaks to God's existence. So do our bodies, so do our experiences, so do our emotions. But I think the best case for the existence of God is people who are going to actually live like God exists. People who will resist the lowercase gods for far more hopeful and holy Uppercase God. So I really do appreciate you bringing this question so honestly this morning wherever you're at. I hold that question with you this morning in the most genuine, genuine way possible and I want you to continue to ask that question and ask it every day because it's likely to be the most important question that you can ask in your life. I want to pray uh, just to close. And um, rather than try and pray a, a, a prayer that's going to catch everybody here exactly where you're at, I'm going to pray for myself <laughs> and um, invite you into that prayer if you would like to do that. I want you, if, if, if you're comfortable this morning, I would invite you to just close your eyes and pray with me. And um, if you're comfortable doing it, just lift your palms up on your, on your laps so that they're facing up as a sign of openness to God. Even if we don't have all the answers of, of, of exactly who we're praying to, if that's not clear in your mind today, um, maybe it's, maybe there's power in just opening yourself up to that. And I'm going to pray this prayer that's on my heart. and if you find yourself sort of resonating with these words and, and saying, "Hey, that could, that could be my prayer too," then I'd invite you to, to just echo back in the quiet of your own heart. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the ways in which you've revealed yourself to me. The the ways in which you've shown me your existence and your love and your grace and your presence in my life. Lord, I ask forgiveness today for the ways in which I get so drawn towards lesser gods, wannabe gods that I know can't fulfill my life in the way that you do. So teach me, Lord, each and every day what it means to live with you as Lord of lords, King of kings. And I pray that my life might speak well of who you are to the world around me that, that needs you, Lord. pray all these things in your name. Amen.